Paul will be bringing our scripture reading. The scripture reading will be from John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. Uh, The Bible reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness Darkness comprehendeth it not. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Well, it's Christmas time. It's Christmas season, and for children, there's anticipation. Maybe for some families, it's an opportunity to go back to the village and spend time with family that you don't get to see all year long. It's excitement. For me, It's my birthday. (laughs) This year, on the 25th of December, I will celebrate my completion of the 45th trip around the sun, in case you needed to know how many candles to put on the cake. (laughs) It's Christmas, and each year at Christmas, we take the time to look back at the birth of our Savior. It was the most anticipated moment in all of history, and I believe that it's worth taking the time to look at the scriptures each year. I believe you're in the book of John this morning, John chapter 1. I will be a little bit different today than normal. We will spend our time walking through about six different passages, and we'll just happen to start here in John chapter 1. I'll be reading John chapter 1 in the first 14 verses, but before we get into that, I just want to make mention that the Apostle John is one of four Gospels. He writes one of four Gospels. Each of the four Gospels comes from a different perspective and comes with a different reason. John explains to us what the reason is that he wrote this Gospel. He explains it for us in John chapter 20 and verse number 31. This is what he writes at the end of the Gospel. He says this, But these are written, in other words, the entire book of John, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. In other words, this entire Gospel of John is not just written there to fill up pages and give us something to look back on as if it was, oh, those are some nice stories. No, he wrote it for a purpose. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you might have life through his name. So there's a purpose in us seeing these things. And namely, we see that Jesus is the Son of God. He was not merely just a good person who lived and walked on the earth. He was not just merely a miracle maker. He was the Son of God. And because He was the Son of God, you can believe in Him and you will have eternal life. This is a big deal. And so as he writes his book, this Gospel of John, he opens with the story of Jesus. But he opens from a different perspective that the others would, the others wrote from. So Matthew, the perspective of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he has a great lineage, and he starts with the chapter 1 with, here's his lineage. 
And Luke, he, he presents, Jesus is the Son of Man. He comes after a forerunner named John. And there were shepherds in the field watching over their flocks by night. And John just goes straight to, he's the Son of God. And he's existed from before time began. So you're there in John chapter 1. I want to read verse 1 coming down to verse 14. Look at John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now, he's not going to tell you who the Word is until further down, further verses. But he's just going to start with this idea that there's someone named the Word and he has pre-existed everything. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, Jesus pre-existed, he was with God, and he is God. I almost said was God. He is God. Very important distinction. And in the beginning, God was there, is there. We know from Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And we're going to get an insight in this passage to how that looked and what that was like. So verse number 2, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In other words, Jesus, going by the name Word here in John 1, Jesus was with God Almighty at the beginning, God the Father, we might say, and He is God in His triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was with God, and He is God, and He is the one who was the agent of creation. So that when God Almighty said, let there be light, the one who formed light was Jesus. And the one who actually brought together the bits of dust and breathed into man the breath of life, that was Jesus. He had not yet put on robes of flesh when he came to his birth at Bethlehem, but yet he still existed. Verse number four. And in Him, in Jesus, in Him was life. And life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You see, Jesus Christ is the source of life. It is from Him that He can give life through the breath of His own breath into man to give man the breath of life. And it is in Him that we will find everlasting life. And His light shined into the darkness, and men receiving that light did not comprehend it and did not understand it. For how is it that the King of Kings could be born into a lowly manger in Bethlehem? Men did not understand. He continues to write in verse number 6. John writes this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is not the same John who is writing. This is John the apostle who is writing. He's writing about John the baptizer. Now verse number 7. The same, that same man sent from God named John, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. So don't be mistaken, John the baptizer came before and he came so that he could point people to the light. John himself was not the light, he was pointing to Jesus who is the light. The same came for a witness. We saw that in verse 7. To bear witness of the light. Now verse 8. He is not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. 
Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And we see that in the crucifixion. They did not receive him, but, oh, thank God for verse 12. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So from the foundation of the world, God had a plan that he would send his son. Yes, he knew that man would fall in sin. That's what happened in Genesis. He knew it, but he already had a plan before the foundation of the world that it would please him to bruise his own son. His son would go to the cross in our behalf to take our iniquities upon himself, and he would give unto us everlasting life if we would but believe in his name. You see that in verse 12. Even to them that believe on his name, which are born not of blood... In other words, you were not related to him by blood. But you were not related by blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It was not your decision, it was his. He decided to adopt you, friend. Verse number 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Do you hear the echoes of Emmanuel? And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In John, from His perspective, we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Oh, John. John got a unique glimpse on the Mount of Transfiguration. Something that only three people got to enjoy. The rest of us have only got to anticipate it. We look forward to the day when He will reveal Himself in all of His glory, and every eye will see Him, and we will bow before Him. Fall on your knees, brothers and sisters. We will fall before Him. We will, we will see His glory. John says, we saw it. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. And how did we see Him? Full of grace and truth. Oh, we needed grace. We needed truth. So the Word became flesh, and those that receive Him by faith will be called the sons of God. This is our glorious Jesus, and He is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And what I'd like to do this morning, I'd like to walk through some of those Old Testament prophecies that pointed forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now, i got to tell you, there's a whole bunch of them. We won't take the time. In fact, there's a guy in the 1800s, his name was Alfred Edersheim. Alfred Edersheim devoted his life's work to studying the life of Christ. And some of the work that he has produced, Alfred Edersheim produced some of those works are, are now known as some of those best works to ever be done to compile, to point at Jesus. Alfred says there's 456 prophecies in the Old Testament that pointed at Jesus. 456. My goodness. There's no way that we could take years to unpack that. So this morning, I just wanted to point at three of them. You're welcome. You get to go home today. But before we get into those, I want to ask this question because I don't know if you've thought about this. Why? Why would God send His Son Jesus to come to this earth? Why? And Jesus himself answered that question in John 3 and verse 17. Jesus answered the question. You're, you might be familiar with verse 16. But verse 17, Jesus tells us exactly why. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad that God didn't just go, here's a perfect specimen, Jesus, and none of you are perfect like him? He didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, the goal in sending Jesus was not to condemn us, but to bring us to him. Jesus, in his perfect sinless life, said, Here, I am the perfect sacrifice that's required. And he went to the tree on our behalf, shed his blood on our behalf, so that we must, all we do is trust in him. Now, Paul expounds this in a little bit more detail, and I see the two things that Paul brings to be inextricably interwoven with what Jesus said. So here's Paul's words from Romans 15, verse 8. Now I say, Paul says, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. Now that's a great big phrase that means Jesus came to live as a Jew. So Jesus came to live as a Jew for what reason? Two, confirm the promises made to the fathers. In other words, Jesus came to live on this earth so that God could always keep his promises. I hope in your years here at Capital City Baptist Church that those words will just ring through your mind because God always keeps his promises. And so why did God send Jesus? So that he would keep his promises to the fathers. And, you notice there's an and, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So if Jesus had not come, we look at the Old Testament as a series of promises that are made to the Jewish people, and God will always keep His promises. But what did Jesus do? Jesus came, lived a perfect sinless life, gave His life on the tree so that He could bring us Gentiles also into the promises of God so that you and I can be recipients of God's mercy so that you and I forevermore, not just Jewish people, but all the nations of the earth. Did you hear the words in the song this morning? Come, desire of nations, come. Oh, let us bow before Him, glorify in Him, not just Jewish people. Now, I can give an example of why this is so important. If I can keep this verse on the screen for just a little bit longer, I want you to see why this is so important. Because here in our nation with 800 tribes, every one of our tribes has something that we're proud of. We love this specific thing about our tribe. And you from your tribe know what it is from your tribe that you're so proud of. And then we go across 799 other tribes and those other tribes might not find that thing as significant as you do. You've heard me say it many times before. As an American citizen, I grew up loving American football. And it doesn't matter how many times I try to explain the game to my friends here in Papua New Guinea... Every time I get the same answer, Pastor, I just don't understand the rules. I just can't get into it because I don't understand it. You know what does not transcend culture? American football does not transcend culture. And as much as I love coffee, coffee does not transcend every culture because there's some that love tea. Lord bless your soul. 
But there are things that do not go across to every culture. But you know what goes across to every culture and every nation on the planet? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You can be made right right with God by putting your trust in Jesus so that all the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Why did God send Jesus to the earth? So that the Gentiles might glorify God from every nation and tongue and tribe. So that every people group from all around the world, no matter what their background, no matter what their culture, they can love God because of Jesus. You see, that makes God look beautiful. And anything that makes God look glorious is worth promoting. And so I see these three things intricately interwoven. Jesus' own words, that the world through Him might be saved. In Paul's words, so that God would always keep His promises. And so that the Gentiles would praise God for His mercy. Oh friend, why did God send Jesus? He had good reasons, and they're all tied together. You take any one of those away and it lessens the glory of God. And oh, how glorious He is for sending Jesus to the cross. Come with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. I typically will tell you if we're going to come back to a passage, it will be Isaiah that we keep coming back to today. And so if you have that piece of paper that floats with you, you feel free to drop it in Isaiah. All throughout the Old Testament, they... The prophecies pointed forward to the coming Messiah that started in Genesis 3. We won't look at that passage, but in the fall of man, God made a promise. You might remember, sacrificed an animal, took the skin of that animal and clothed Adam and Eve with it, took away their own temporary covering of just leaves and instead gave them in its place a sacrifice. That in itself was a type and a as we might say, a finger pointing at the cross. For one will come who will take away your sin. And in that day, in Genesis 3 and verse 15, God gave the first giving of the gospel that would come. For the day will come when God would send one. He did not fully flesh out what that would look like, but He gave a promise, I will send one, and He will crush the head of the serpent, but it will cost Him dearly when He does. That was the first glimpse of the coming Messiah and all throughout the Old Testament more and more of what the Messiah would look like and how he would come was revealed. And one of those passages is here in Isaiah chapter 7. I want to tell you that there must have been a growing anticipation. I think of Adam when his son Seth, uh, when his son uh, Abel had died at the hands of his son Cain. I think of Adam as he looks at his dead son and he knows sin has entered into the world. Romans 5's words and death by sin. I can only imagine as Adam and Eve's hearts were broken to go and bury their son. I can only imagine what they thought. We would say the words, even so come, Lord Jesus. All they had was the promise that there would become a Redeemer. And what that would look like, they don't know. But there must have been anticipation in their heart. Oh God, let it happen. Little did they know it would be 6,000 years before it would happen. One promise built upon another promise, built upon another promise, and anticipation was growing. 
much anticipation throughout the Old Testament. We come to this passage here in Isaiah 7, and this, this is a prophecy. Before I read the prophecy, I want to make note. Prophecy is not something that you can just make up. This is a problem in our society. You, you, you do not get to just make up prophecy. The prophecy within the Scriptures, when you look through the Scriptures and you see prophecy, there's only two types of people that give prophecy. That's prophets and apostles. And the Bible clearly calls them prophets and apostles. As of today, the Scriptures are clear. We do not have any more apostles and we do not have any more prophets. Therefore, we are not giving prophecy in this day. The prophets and the apostles would declare, they would say words like, Thus saith the Lord. They brought a word from the Lord. The Lord gave them word and they would proclaim it. Thus saith the Lord. Or other passages, the Lord said unto me and they would proclaim it and it would be written down. And you and I today, 2023, we don't get the right to say those things. I've, I've, I've heard th people say things like, well, I had a dream and this dream, it told me that I was supposed to do... Think long and hard before you add something to the Word of God. I, I'll be honest, I've even heard independent Baptist pastors and preachers say things like, God told me to say, and I think to myself, friend, you're adding to the Word of God. And here's the danger. Whenever someone says, God told me to say this, perhaps it was a good thought. Hear me well. Perhaps it's a good thought. But I venture to say you're going out on a limb that is extra biblical when you say God told me to say this. Because what you're doing is you're elevating the words coming out of your mouth to the status of God's authority. Oh, be careful. Because while you might have a good intention when you say God told me to say this, you might have a good intention, but what you don't realize is you're unintentionally undermining the authority of Scripture. Allow the Scriptures to be the ones that speak. Furthermore, Scripture is the only one that lets us know when a prophecy has been fulfilled. Now that's important for us today. Because we don't have further Scripture adding on saying that this Scripture was fulfilled. So we don't know. We can speculate. We can say, I see in Scripture the prophecy says this and this, therefore I think maybe that might be this. But unless Scripture says that is this, we don't get to proclaim it as such. I'll show it to you today. As we see these prophecies and we come to the New Testament parallels of them, you'll see when the New Testament says, and that is this. And, and where that's dangerous today is because today in modern day, we have a lot of things going on geopolitically. And if we're not careful... Someone might stand and proclaim something like, well, I see Russia moving their armies and it is the bear of the north moving down to the south. I can say, yes, it looks like it, but I cannot say, yes, that's it. Or they might say things like the Euphrates River is lowering in its depths and that means that next up is demons coming out from underneath the water. You cannot say that because you don't know. 
Scripture is the one who speaks, and when Scripture speaks, we proclaim it loudly. And when Scripture doesn't proclaim it loudly, we must be silent. And so when we look at prophecy, we need to be careful as we look into these things. Anticipation from the garden. The Old Testament believers, those saints in the Old Testament, were looking forward. The day will come when God will send His Messiah. And I can just imagine as that anticipation was growing. Much like when you are looking towards Christmas or your birthday. Christmas is my birthday, not yours. When you're looking towards your birthday or you're looking towards Christmas or you're looking forward to go and visit that friend or grandma When you're looking forward to those things, this anticipation grows. And let's be honest, the closer you get to it, the more the anticipation grows. You're excited about it, you're looking forward to it. And I can see the anticipation growing in the Old Testament. Now here's Isaiah 7, verse 14. You've been there waiting for me a long time. Thank you. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son... And shall call his name Emmanuel. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Uh, In case you didn't know, that's a miracle. And it's a very important miracle because the Son of God cannot be fathered by a human being. You might ask why that would be. Well, Romans 5 and verse 12 tells us very clearly. I've already alluded to it. Here's Romans 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men... For that, all have sinned. Do you know why you sin? Because your daddy sinned. You know why he sinned? Because your grandfather sinned. It is passed down generationally. None of us can escape it. We're born into sin. This is the way it is. Where did that come from? It came from our father Adam. In the third verse of Hark the Herald this morning, in the third verse, the first line said, Adam's Image now efface. Those are some old English words that literally mean, oh, desire of nations, take away the image of Adam from me and replace it with the image of Christ. What a glorious thought. And here we have, why is it that Jesus cannot be born of a woman who has slept with a man? Why is it that he needs to have a virgin birth? Because he cannot be a descendant of Adam. Not possible. Otherwise, he will be born with sin. And he is sinless. He must be sinless. For him to be the perfect sacrifice on our behalf, he must be sinless. He must come from a different lineage. And that prophecy was fulfilled. If you want to drop that piece of paper into Isaiah, look over at Matthew chapter 1 with me. and You'll see this prophecy be fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. I mentioned earlier that Matthew and Luke record the birth of Christ. Mark and John just start their gospel with the beginning of his earthly ministry. I come to Matthew now. Instead of going back to John, I want you to see this in Matthew. In this passage, the angel has just appeared to Joseph. I plan on speaking about this passage in more detail next Sunday. The angel just told Joseph that Mary is the child of the Holy Spirit. And then the angel told Joseph what to name the baby. Here's Matthew chapter 1. In verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son, 
and thou shalt, name it, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, Matthew's narrating now, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, I'll insert Isaiah, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Anticipation and fulfilled prophecy. This is miraculous. I don't know if you saw it. The New Testament is now confirming the prophecy of the Old Testament. The people of God had been waiting for thousands of years for this to happen. And now here, just 700 years before the birth, they get this added piece of the prophecy. He will be born of a virgin. And they're now looking, is that possible? How is that possible? And this in itself is a miracle. But then add to it that this baby is born. Notice that the prophecy was... The child will be born of a virgin, and it will be a son. Let's just put it out there. If somehow the virgin conceived, and it's almost time for delivery, they weren't doing sonograms back then. They didn't do gender reveals back then. They don't know until the baby's born whether it's going to be a boy or a girl. So let's just say miracle one is complete because a virgin has a child but miracle two is the fact that it doesn't come out as a girl two miracles we often over overlook there was at least a 50 50 chance unless god's at work in this in this entire thing and god placed into the womb of mary a baby boy and this child was born and they called him jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. And they called him Emmanuel, God with us. And I hope the words God with us is sinking into your soul this morning. For the opposite is God against us. God against us does not bring us with anticipation. But God with us. I want him to be with us. I want to be together with God. And I look forward to the day when He will return again and I get to be with Him forever. We'll come back to Isaiah again, this time to chapter 9. 700 years before Christ, and keep in mind that as Isaiah wrote, he did not write at that time, the year 700 B.C. He did not know that it was the year 700 B.C. In that time and in those years, they counted from a major earth event. Example, major earthquake happened 12 years ago, so what is this year? It's 12 years after that earthquake. Or maybe they counted it as an army invaded, and it has been 231 years since that army invaded. These are the ways that they counted but I want to point out the fact that mankind, ever since the birth of Christ, mankind has counted off of the greatest, most significant event that ever happened, the birth of Christ. 
We have been counting for the last 2,000 years off of the birth of Christ. So when Isaiah wrote, he did not write 700, the, the, today's date, 7th December 700 B.C., as if he was counting down the years until Jesus comes. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. We count backwards and look, it's 700 years before, and here's Isaiah just going, I don't know when he's going to come, but when he comes, this is what it's going to be like. Now notice Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. More of this prophecy of the child. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Notice where the commas are placed. His name shall be Wonderful. He's not just a wonderful counselor. He's wonderful. And he's counselor. And he's the mighty God the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Just let that sink in. He's a child who's called Father. He's the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. In other words, the longer He sits upon His throne, which is eternal, the longer He sits upon His throne, the more of an increase that His government will be. That's humanly Mind-boggling. Because the better a government gets, the more opportunities for corruption. And the more that a government becomes strong, the more enemies want to invade it. But his government will only increase and increase and increase and increase forever and ever and ever. And with it, the increase of his government and peace. So in other words, those who would rise against him will only fall. And upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice, from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God in all of his zeal will make sure that this comes to pass. This is a promise that he adds on his own passion to. And what is his passion? That we will see an established government with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. I look forward to that and I say again, even so come Lord Jesus. For we need a government upon his shoulders and we need an increase of government and peace of which there will be no end. And we need judgment and we need justice We need an everlasting Father. We need a Counselor. We need a mighty God. We need a Prince of Peace. We need Him. And Isaiah, 700 years before Christ was born, said, there's going to be a baby that will be that. He'll set in motion those things that will come. And friend, we are not the only ones in history that have looked for the Prince of Peace. I think of after the time that Isaiah wrote this, there were good people in Jerusalem following God. The majority were not, but there were good people as a man named Antiochus Epiphanes came into Jerusalem, slaughtered people that were very innocent, and then in an attempt to spite those believers, he sacrificed a pig on their altar in the temple. And those people, hundreds of years until the return, broken. Even so, come. Messiah, desire of nations, come. 
And I think of even people like Jeremiah, the next prophet in the Old Testament. With his many chapters that he wrote, even as he tried to proclaim truth and they throw him in a dungeon, and he cries out from his heart with anticipation, send the Messiah, I want him. We need a Prince of Peace. We need one whose name is Wonderful. We need an everlasting Father. And those people of the Old Testament look forward to the coming of Christ. They did not know His name. They just know Him as Redeemer, Messiah, Emmanuel. Come, they ask with anticipation. Now come with me over to Luke chapter 1. Hold your place in Isaiah. We'll be back. Luke chapter 1. And you'll see this fulfillment. This is... Luke chapter 1, in this story, the angel has just appeared unto the Virgin Mary. In the book of Matthew, he had appeared unto Joseph, and here he appears to Mary. What an honor it would have been to carry the Son of God. And here is what the angel says, and I want you to pay close attention to the angel's words. This is Luke chapter 1, in verse 31. He says to Mary, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb shall bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. And here's that fulfillment of prophecy. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. You see, this birth was the most anticipated birth in all of history. All of history was looking forward to the birth of Christ, and you and I have counted our own history from his birth. Oh, the cross is the most important moment, but the birth is the most anticipated moment. All of history, they were looking forward. Come, they cried. Let Him come. Let His birth be made in our lifetimes. And I could go to so many passages throughout the Old Testament. One that I think of, and year after year I think of, is Micah 5, 2. Ephrata, Bethlehem, though you are the smallest of Judah, from you will come one who will reign over the nations. And they knew it. The scribes studied it. Don't think that they were a bunch of dummies because they were older generation. They came from an ancient time. Those people studied the Word of God so that when the wise men came walking into Jerusalem to talk to Herod, their question, where is born the King of the Jews? You know what those scribes did? They said, oh, Micah 5.2, it says it right there. It's happened in Bethlehem. The fulfillment, the great anticipation that we've been waiting for thousands of years for. It's come. And I don't understand why they didn't pack up and follow the wise men into Bethlehem. I don't know why. But they've been waiting for this moment. Come with me one more. Isaiah uh, Isaiah 40, verse number 3. Isaiah chapter 40 if we were to put ourselves in the shoes of those Old Testament God followers, they believed in God's promises. They did not yet know that who Christ was and what the cross was. They have not had that revealed to them. And so I hesitate to say that they were saved in the sense that you and I are saved. We're saved by putting our trust in the Lord Jesus, His death on the cross. They did not have a death to look at yet. 
But they believed God and they believed God's promises and they looked forward to the Messiah coming. And they learned more about it in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 3. They learned in this prophecy that there would be a forerunner that would come before Jesus. Something will happen before Jesus. So here's Isaiah 40 and verse 3. The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. I don't know about you, but when I read those words, I can't help but hear Handel's Messiah in my head. If you're familiar with Handel's Messiah, I think that the words and the tune might just flow in your head right now. If you don't know it, go and Google it later and just relish as they sing about the glory of our Lord Jesus. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. I've used this illustration before because the closest I can think of was when King Charles, Prince Charles then, came and visited about ten years ago to here in Port Moresby. You might remember that. And I remember as they had planned out every road that he would travel on. Do you remember it? They ripped up every road and repaved, resealed every road that he was going to go to. Every, and, and I remember asking, this road wasn't even that bad. Why did you rip it up? And the answer came again and again. No good in by bombing one blood pothole. And future king blew me fly. And I think to myself, if we would do that for the one who would be the king of England for perhaps 20 years, I wonder what it must have been like as the forerunner of Christ prepared the way in the wilderness for him, every valley being made raised up and every mountain brought down low. And what will it be like when he returns, the one who will reign forever and ever, his majesty and all that will be before him. And here the forerunner will come and he says, the crooked will be made straight, the rough places will be plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Before I go much further, I want to make a point about prophecy. When you see prophecy in the Old Testament, it is possible that some of the prophecy is fulfilled in Scripture, and some of it is held for later. There are many places in Scripture that talk about the death of Christ on the cross. There are many places, and we've read some of them, that talk about how He will rule and reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem forever and ever. Well, we know that He went to the cross. That's fulfilled in the past. And it says so in the Scriptures. But then there are these future prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled, and we have no indication in the Scriptures that they were fulfilled. In fact, you and I would be wholeheartedly in agreement when I say this, that He is not on the throne in Jerusalem now. And there is not peace forever in Jerusalem now. That's yet to come. And in these verses, I see the very same thing. Some fulfilled in Scripture, some yet to be fulfilled in the future. And so look at them again, verse number 
3, a voice of one that cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And that's fulfilled with John. You remember. Prepare ye the way. Repent and be baptized, he cried. And then he said, there's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy of tying his shoes. And then you see, by the time you get down to verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. That's yet to be fulfilled. The day will come when He will sit upon His throne and every eye will see Him. They who pierced Him will see Him. And we will bow before Him and His glory will be the light and we will not need the light of the sun anymore. Oh, that day is coming and it's yet to be fulfilled. But I want you to note that this was part of the prophecy that brought extra anticipation as those believers in the Old Testament were looking forward to the birth of Christ. That growing anticipation. What's it going to be like? Virgin birth. What's it going to be like? There's going to be a forerunner. What's it going to be like? Oh, he'll be a wonderful king. Oh, these are good things that they had to look forward to. And these ancient scribes are looking forward to it with anticipation. Isaiah knew he's pointing at the Messiah. He knew it. And those scribes studied it, and I'll show you how I know that. Come with me back to the book of Luke. This is Luke chapter 2. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1. In verse number 64, I'll start there. You might remember the story of Papa Zacharias and Mama Elizabeth. Last year, we walked through their story in our Christmas series. Zacharias had been a priest for the majority of his life. It's possible he had served maybe 30 years or 40 years, and every year he would serve for two weeks in the temple. And his work was to go in as his lot fell upon him, that meant that he was chosen. Perhaps this is his first time because there are literally thousands of priests. And perhaps this is his first time to carry that incense in and offer it upon the altar of incense in the temple. And that day when he carried that incense in and offered it, an angel appeared beside the altar of incense and said to him, your prayers have been heard. You see, Zacharias and Elizabeth had not had children. He's now old. She's well beyond the age of being able to bear children. And yet God still heard their prayers. And the angel says to Zacharias, your wife is going to have a baby within the next year. And Zacharias did something that I would not recommend. He decided to argue with the angel. But don't you understand? We're old. She can't have children. And the angel just went one way. Fine. Pase mouse for you. Angels don't waste their time, I guess. Not going to sit there and argue with him. Zach, be quiet. And so for the next nine months, Zacharias wasn't able to say anything. Elizabeth, miracle of God. Elizabeth got pregnant. Zacharias knows this is my son. He's so excited about it. The baby is born, and several days go by, and then it's the ceremony. They're going to have the ceremony to name the child. When they go to have the ceremony, all of the family members want to name the boy Zacharias. Zacharias knows the angel told me a couple of things. One of the things that he said was there's going to be a baby born. That happened. And he told me his name's supposed to be John. 
We don't have any family members named John. I, don't agree, I didn't agree with the angel back then, but I'm tired of arguing with the angel, and I don't want him to give me any more punishment. So the child's name is John, and he got his tablet out, and he wrote on the tablet, not iPad tablet, he wrote on the tablet, his name is John. And everybody was surprised, why in the world, where did the name John come from? But when he wrote it down and said his name is John, God opened his mouth. And suddenly Zacharias can speak again. Now I want you to see what he does when he can speak. He's been quiet for almost a year now. Watch what he does. This is Luke chapter 1 and verse number 64. And his mouth, Zacharias, his mouth was opened immediately and his tongue loosed and he spake and what? Praised God. That is very appropriate. When God opens your mouth after being closed for almost a year and you suddenly have the ability to do something with your mouth, he turned it around and he gave it right back to God. God has given me everything I ever wanted. But he also recognizes that this boy is special. Chances are, at his age, at Zacharias's age, chances are he'll not live long enough to see this boy do what God's going to do in his life. But he is thrilled that he as a dad gets to be somehow a part of this child and the one who will come after him. He knows this boy is the forerunner. He's the fulfillment of Isaiah 40's prophecy. And he says it, look down at verse number 67. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied. Again, I'll just point out, remember what I said. The scripture tells us when it's prophecy. And so here he says, Zacharias, filled with the Holy Ghost, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He spake by the mouth of His holy prophets, which have been since the world began. In other words, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Zacharias is saying, This is that. He's telling us, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. It's happening now in my lifetime. I'm watching the pieces come together. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He's letting us know it. And now He says it, verse 76, And thou, child, I can just imagine, and just imagine, He's holding the boy. And thou, child, He's speaking to His son. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace." And so there's Papa Zach, and he's holding the baby boy John, and he's rejoicing, and he's rejoicing about a coming Messiah. You see, that anticipation had been growing for generations and for thousands of years, and now Zacharias gets to be the one who gets the first one to say, this is happening now. And you and I know that it's about more than just a birth. He had to come perfect and sinless, but he also lived a perfect and sinless life. And then, just like the promise in Genesis 3, he would 
crush the head of Satan by great cost to himself. He would go to the cross and take upon himself the sin of the world so that you and I might find life in him. It's about more than just a birth. It's also about his death. I want to close with an idea. And I want you to follow me on this for just a moment. We've been talking about anticipation this morning. The most anticipated moment in all of history. Anticipation is that emotion that's within you as you're looking forward to something that's to come. You've got that anticipation. And anticipation, you, you realize that you don't anticipate bad things. That's anxiety. If you had something that was coming and you're afraid of it, you're not filled with anticipation about that. You're filled with anxiety about that. You have anticipation for something that's good. So when you have anticipation, you're looking forward to something that's good. We've mentioned this already. You're looking forward to go and be with Grandma. I hope your Grandma was as kind as mine. You look forward to go be with Grandma. You don't see her all year long, and then your chance to go be with Grandma, and you've had this building anticipation in the days leading up, and maybe even the night before you go, you can't sleep because you're so excited. And I'm looking forward to go be with my grandmother. Or maybe it's Christmas. It's your birthday. I love my birthday. I'm looking forward to my birthday. 45 years old this year. Halfway to 90. And you're looking forward with anticipation. Do you know what goes with anticipation? It's almost like a hand and a glove. These two go together. There's two words. Anticipation and joy. Those two go together. You see, if it was on the other side was fear, you're not going to call it anticipation. It would be anxiety and fear. But anticipation, I'm looking forward to something so that when I get there, I'm going to find joy. I go be with Grandma, and it's going to be everything I wanted, and it's joy. Now, let me share with you the words of the angels as they appeared on the hillside outside of Bethlehem to the shepherds. Do you remember the words that they said? Here's what the angel said. The angel said to them, Fear not. This is Luke 2 and verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. On one side, for thousands of years, growing anticipation. We can't wait for the Messiah to come. And guess what the angel did? He broke out of the sky and woke those poor shepherds up. And he said, guess what, guys? It's here. What you've anticipated is now here. And I'm filling you with great joy. And it's not just for you. It's for all peoples. Because Jesus came that all the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercy. And then he didn't leave it there. Jesus also said it. So these were Jesus' words at the end of his ministry. He's in the upper room the night before his crucifixion. And this is what Jesus said to the disciples. John chapter 15 and verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Do you realize... Do you realize you can find joy at two places? Vertically, you'll find joy to its fullest vertically with Jesus. Or you will spend the rest of your life 
horizontally searching for joy in other places that eventually will leave you empty. Maybe you've been trying to find joy in your bank account or in your job or in your girlfriend or in your spouse or maybe you've been trying to find joy in a car or in your clan or maybe you've been trying to find joy in your children or your grandchildren. The moment will come when they will let you down and you'll have less joy than what you had anticipated. But if you want everlasting joy to its fullest, you'll find that in the Lord Jesus. Vertically. In Jesus' words, these things have I spoken unto you. Follow my words, is what he said. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy would remain in you, and that your joy might be full. One more verse. I started with John, so I'll finish with John. This is 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3. John writes this, and he's telling us why he's even writing 1 John. And here's what he writes. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Just pause and listen to that phrase alone. John says, I lived with Jesus. I sat under his feet and he taught me. And those things that I've seen and those things that I've heard, I'm bringing them for you, brethren. And there's a reason that I'm bringing them. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write I unto you that your joy might be full. So this morning, anticipate the birth. We don't have to anymore. Celebrate the birth. Follow Him. He'll bring joy. And I submit, submit to you this morning, He's better than your grandma. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank You for sending Your Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank You for His perfect, sinless life, born of a virgin, born to reign, prophesied, forerunner, and God, he did not miss a single one of those prophecies. And in that first coming, we get a shadow of what is to come. 33 years of a perfect, sinless life, no man could ever lay an accusation against him. Lord, we look forward to the endless years of eternity that will come, whereby we will lose count of time, where we will be with you forever. In Him was light. Light was the life of Him. Lord, I pray if we might have one among us this morning who has never put their trust in the Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray that You would draw them to Yourself. And God, I pray that You would help us as brothers and sisters in Christ, believers in Jesus, to not seek fleeting joy in those horizontal things around us, but instead for us to seek eternal, everlasting, full joy in you. It's in your beautiful name I ask these things. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you, church. God bless you. Have a great day.